Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. I'm so glad you could join us. I want to talk about rejection today and what we can learn from it. When was the last time you heard the word no? Rejection is part of life, whether it's in the workplace or while forming new relationships. And we we all get turned down every now and then. But knowing that rejection is normal doesn't make it hurt any less. This hour, we're going to talk about why rejection is so uniquely painful and how we can use rejection to move on and sometimes even move up in our lives. My guest and I will dig into the psychology behind rejection and how we can use it to our advantage personally and professionally. And as we talk about this, I want to hear your rejection stories too. We're taking your phone calls. Did a rejection change the course of your life? Or how have you learned from being turned down either personally or professionally? Or maybe you're still trying to find a way to heal from a recent rejection. Let's talk about it on this Wellness Wednesday. The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. You can also call us at 800-242-2828. Let's bring in our guests. Vianne Nguyen Feng is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Minnesota, Duluth, and the director of the Mind-Body Trauma Care Lab in Duluth. She's joining us remotely. Good morning, Vianne. Good morning, Angela. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm happy to have some time with you. We also have on the line Cynthia Pong. Cynthia is the founder and CEO of the career coaching firm Embrace Change, which is based in New York City. She's also joining us remotely. Good morning, Cynthia. Hello. Good morning. So happy to be here. Oh, good. This is going to be great. You know, so many of us have, uh, you know, actually some painful memories of being rejected often early in life. You know, maybe it's being left out of the fun on the playground as a child or, or failing a, a math test or uh, as an adult getting turned down for a job or, you know, maybe turned down by somebody we want to date. So, Vianne, I'll start with you. You're a psychologist. What is actually going on in our, our, our brains, uh, in our minds when we are rejected? I think your point about rejecting rejection stemming from childhood is really important because so much of our brain is developed when we're a child. And the research in rejection talks about childhood trauma experiences, especially violence in the home, and how that re- relates to how we feel about rejection. So this concept of rejection sensitivity, how sensitive we are to rejection So in our brains and with any sort of processing, rejection and anything else, there's this idea of cognitive affective information processing. Mm -hmm. So cognitive meaning thinking, affective meaning how we feel. So whenever we take in any sort of information, any sort of external event, there is a relationship between how we're thinking about it and how those feelings arise in in our bodies. So our brain may begin to interpret an event. So when I think about rejection, especially in ambiguous situations, that can really show how our cognitive effective information processing is, is working. For, for example, like in ambiguous situations, like waiting for a text message and not knowing whether a friend is going to respond. Mm -hmm. How might we perceive that about ourselves and how might that relate to how we feel? So that's interesting. It it sounds like we hold on to those memories of rejection. Yeah, for sure. 
Right. So it, it's almost um, is is there a, a, re, a physical response also to like what what is happening in our bodies when when it happens? Yeah, and I think cueing into those physical responses, cueing into what's happening in our bodies, can help ground us and soften that the sensations that are coming from rejection. Because in a way, it's very deep rooted. This idea of how we interpret other people's actions and mm-hmm. how it relates to our sense of self. Like, there's an area of the brain kind of, if you touch your head, for me, it's kind of like that back bump. I don't know if everyone has, not everyone has as prominent of a bump as I do, but that's our area that gives us our sense of self, how we recollect and store, integrate memories, integrate information and perceive the environment. So mm-hmm. are you saying on, on the back of our heads, we can actually feel a bump like <laughs> well, that for me? It's, it's, yeah. If you feel that bump there, that's, that's kind of the area in which the sense of self and I'm checking it out. Recollection. Yeah. I'm, I'm checking it <laughs> out. I got my hand here too. Okay. So are you there too? Like, what? Yeah. What is going on like oh, this part. Yeah. Should yeah. I be- it just kind of feels nice. I think, to place your hand on your head. Oh my gosh. Okay. So um, I, I'm, I'm stuck here. When you say childhood trauma, I mean, I'm, I'm someone like a lot of people who went through a lot as a young child. Uh, but even, you know, you know, what are some examples like of what would happen to a, a child or a teenager that later in life that they may have this memory of rejection that could affect the way they see and, and perceive situations, uh, VN? A lot of it comes from attachment theory, dating back to how our caregivers might have treated us in childhood. Mm-hmm. This idea is like, as a kid, if we ask for something and our caregivers reject that need, then we might become more sensitive to rejection. Mm-hmm. And then we might want to try avoiding that need later in life. And we might extend that to interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. We might extend that to be something that's personal. So in psychology and communication, there's the idea of things being personal, pervasive, and permanent. So as we are developing our sense of self, we might view that rejection as something about us, something that will happen for a long time, and something that applies to many areas of our life. And so does mm-hmm. does it get easier as we age, VN? Is it because we live long enough to know like, okay, I, I, I've, I've learned some lessons from this and or, or does it not get easier as we age dealing with rejection? Mm-hmm. I think it really depends mm-hmm. in terms of what, what we're doing okay. because age and time is usually a proxy for something else. Like mm-hmm. what are we doing during that time? Are we finding supports that reject us more or supports that help us feel grounded when rejection happens because rejection will happen. So Cynthia, as a, a career coach, uh, I imagine mm-hmm. this topic comes up time and time again with your clients. Uh, is that true? Sure. Do people share stories of the time someone told them no uh, when they wanted a promotion or when they wanted a different job? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, in all of those contexts, and it can really vary from day-to-day interactions, you know, something that went sideways with a colleague, a coworker, or a manager to maybe more pivotal feeling things like you are engineering a larger career transition for yourself. And it's more of a writ large, like kind of what Vianne was saying about this over time, um, like a temporal thing. So if you're, you're trying to shift careers, you already know it's, it could take 
couple of months or something, but maybe extends to over a year. It can be really tough, uh, and it's it is challenging. And now it makes sense hearing VN explain all the psychology behind it, right? Like mm-hmm. why it is so hard not to internalize and not to overpersonalize when this does happen. And and do some of your clients that they talk about, you know, because they have memories of being rejected and how terrible that was. Does it does it keep people from trying again or for trying something new? Mm. I, I think it can. It absolutely can run the risk of that. And then to your question from, you know, does it get easier over time and with age, exactly to VN's response, like, I think it really does depend on how we choose to respond in the face of rejection, which is going to happen no matter what in in life. Um, so are, are we working on unlearning, relearning, kind of trying to map new neural pathways for ourselves, possibly like, you know, I'm a big fan of therapy, have had a lot of therapy myself and mm-hmm. kind of trying to do our own work to grieve, heal, as you said, uh, process past experiences and then be able to write a new narrative for ourselves in the face of rejection moving forward is really key to kind of being able to take more ownership over our career paths. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, um, as a, a young person in my you know late teens, early twenties, when I was in college, um, I had this dream. I wanted to be a television reporter, and time and time again, uh, received rejection letters for jobs that mm. I, I applied for. Um, mm-hmm. And it was hard, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm like, well, I just need one job, so yeah, right. <laughs> I can have this stack of it's letters. True. I just need one it's person. True. Right? Uh, is yeah. that is that the kind of advice that you give people? Yeah, I I love that example. And it's such a great illustration because there is one kind of tactical thing that I recommend to clients to sort of gamify it for ourselves and try to externalize it a little bit, which is to set almost to set a target, a numerical target for the number of no's that you want to receive Mm -hmm. as a way to actually assess your progress and to find a way to feel good about what you're doing. So if in your situation, applying for the TV reporter positions, like your target might be, I want to get 50 no's. It's not even that you want to land the one. It's that you want to rack up 50 no's. And then in the process of (laughs) celebrating each one, I know it sounds hard. I know it sounds hard. I do this myself. Trust me. Um, You know, so each rejection, I just put a check mark and I'm like, okay, now I'm at 30, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I, I move on pitch myself for the next thing or whatnot. Um, So in that way, we can kind of um, find a way to cope, frankly, with it and move on. And you will, you know, the clients who are able to do this, who've done kind of the underlying work to be able to do this and apply it, do tend to, you know, do better in the process, in the journey, and then also they get their yeses. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it will come. Yeah. So I I, I excelled on the rejection uh, letters or the rejections I got for yeah. in pursuit of a new job. <laughs> on the personal front, Vianne, I did not do so well. Uh, I remember when I was in my early 20s and really struggling with dating, um, I really internalized that. I mean, I often said to myself, uh, because I was alone and I wasn't having any success and, and being rejected often, um, I I, rem- I remember this vividly saying to myself, nobody wants me. Mm-hmm. Like, what is wrong mm-hmm. with me? Nobody wants me. Because I had a hard time um, understanding why relationships didn't work out. So what can you share with us about rejection and, and dating, Vianne? Mm, yeah, it's really interesting how much our childhood relationships with folks, with our caregivers, mm-hmm. really extend to intimate relationships. 
something more than friendships or other forms of connection. There's something about intimate relationships that that are that's intimate, and we tend to make that a function of ourselves rather than something that isn't so personal. So I feel like that idea, those three Ps of personal, pervasive, and permanent, apply as well. Whether we're looking at rejection in terms of academia or career or interpersonal relationships, mm. and you know, you know, later in life, as I looked at it, that's why I asked you, like, does it get easier as we age? I realized now I simply had standards. I didn't want to just date anybody, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I had standards for myself. Like, I, I had in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, what I, I envisioned dating or relationship to be, and so um, probably just didn't pursue it very hard because I'm like, well, this isn't making me happy anyway. But um, mm. it is interesting that it's both rejection is something that shows up in our personal lives and in our work lives. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we are talking about rejection. And I want to know more about how to handle it and what we can learn from it. And I want to hear your stories. Uh, did a rejection change the course of your life? Or how have you learned from from being turned down either personally or professionally? Or maybe you're still trying to heal from a recent rejection. Does something still sting? Uh, Tell us about it. The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828 as I talk with a psychologist and a career coach. Uh, Let's take a phone call. We have uh, in Minneapolis, Nicole, listening this morning and calling in. Good morning, Nicole. What did you want to share with us? Nicole, are you there? Okay, we've lost the call. We'll, we'll try to reconnect with her. Uh, so let's talk more um, about, again, this career front. And Cynthia, what advice do you mm-hmm. offer to people? Because, you know, we've seen so many people, um, you know, switching up jobs in the last few years, uh, particularly mm-hmm. during and after the pandemic. Um, what advice do you give people about, um, well, if someone says no, keep trying? I mean, you mentioned like maybe mm-hmm. have a goal of, of, okay, I got 30 rejections, but I'm gonna keep going to. But what else do <laughs> right. you tell people so that they're not they don't just shut down and stay put? Yeah, I I think there are a couple of things that are foundational to it. One is continuing to remind ourselves that we we can choose not to internalize or over-personalize the rejection. Like it can simply be, you know, like a sign of redirection, like to your point in the dating context of having standards, like maybe actually there was something there that wouldn't have been right for you. Um, So it could be not a fit for any number of reasons. We can choose to leave it in a more neutral judgment space. Um, Another thing is figuring out what is our own process for mourning or grieving and healing from rejection. So recognizing and not avoiding or running away from the fact that it does hurt. It doesn't mean we're weak. It doesn't mean we're a failure. It's literally not a judgment of ourselves as a person at all. Um, And it is our responsibility to sort out how we can move through it. um, Because, you know, it, it, it like I'm a fan of a pity party. I really am. Mm. But like, I'm a fan of going deep with that pity party, going through all the way down to the bottom and then coming back up and then regrouping yourself, figuring out how you want to move forward. Because, you know, I, at Embrace Change, we specialize in working with women of color. And so the, the mission aspect of representation matters. Um, we are uplifting ourselves and each other. Like that is extremely important to me. And so on that level as well. I think it's important that we not, in the face of rejection, just decide to give up. 
mm-hmm. on certain things like our dreams, which impact our, you know, all the family units we support, all of our communities and the future. So that's why I get actually very, and, and, um, I go hard on this. Yeah. And, and Vian, um, I, I'm wondering yeah. what you think about the, the pity party, because I, I'm a fan of the pity party too, Cynthia, but to mm-hmm. a point, because I feel like you need to feel yes. your feeling, you need to get yes. it out. Right. And, and Vian, what do you know about that, about like not you know, pretending like something didn't hurt and just moving on, but actually feel it. Yeah, I think in a way feelings can be like tunnels. So going through them, going through this pity party, there are folks imagining yourself running the marathon, there are folks in the tunnel cheering you on. Sure, you can give them high fives and then eventually exiting from the tunnel and not staying in there while the the race continues outside of you. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Cynthia, tell me more about, um, you know, also, there there's sometimes when you get a rejection, it's because, you know, uh-huh. there's a, really a good reason. For example, I would uh-huh. love to sing. I cannot sing, right? <laughs> and so are there times when rejection uh-huh. is really telling you that, you know what, maybe it's time to go in a different direction, <laughs> right? Isn't there some sometimes, yeah. you know, maybe you do need to give up on something because it's really not a good yes. match for you? Yes. I 100% agree. I've experienced it myself personally. After I, uh, you know, my, my first career was as a public defender, but after I burned out of that, I decided I wanted to start my own business and my own company. And in those early days, Angela, ooh, so <laughs> much rejection and failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually smile as I say failure because I think it is a sign of our progress. Like it's a sign that we're putting ourselves out there as is rejection. You know, if we're not getting rejected enough, it means we're really not operating anywhere near our full potential. We're not trying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. we want to experience that outer edge of what our potential is, right? So we are going to encounter and bump up against some nose as a sign that we're getting to that edge and we can keep growing beyond it. But anyway, back to the the Mm -hmm. rejection and failure for myself. There were two major pivots and iterations of my business in the early days that I'm now so glad I got a lot of client rejections in those um, stages of my business because it led me to found Embrace Change as the way it is now. So I really truly was that you know, saying of and, and starting, redirection and starting your business, it helped you. So tell me more. It, it mm-hmm. helped you like better shape, like what you were trying to do, or just take new approaches to yeah. getting it getting it going. It was really a fit thing. You know, in the early days, I had a concept, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, what services I wanted to provide, and those weren't the right thing for me. I mean, to make it sound even cornier, like it just wasn't meant to be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you can and, be corny. I like corny. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just giving it super real. Like that was my idea. But when I tested it out in real life, which we have to do in career and in dating and all the realms, right? Um, you know, the feedback I was getting was, nope, this is not the right thing for you, Cynthia. Like, you know, look mm-hmm. at what else might be here for you. Mm-hmm. And so then that caused me to pivot a bit and I had a similar kind of experience in that area, a variation, of course, but, you know, still kind of the same thing overall. And then the third major pivot, um, that's that's when I threw that final like spaghetti at, not final, but, you know, the, the pivotal spaghetti at the wall of the coaching thing. And then that really is what took off and, and snowballed. So if I had spent more time trying to make those other things work, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I know it's a bit abstract and the timeline is different for everyone. So I'm hesitant to like say exactly how long it was, although, you know, people can read about it but in looking my back, book, Don't Stay in Your Lane. It sounds yeah. like you were on the wrong path. 
and the rejections help yeah. you get onto your path. Right. And, you know, you could also say I, I was still on the path, but I was kind of going the wrong direction with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, anything you would add to that, Vianne? Yeah, I like these metaphors in a sense of thinking about directions and paths. I like to say to students that they're not, not necessarily going backwards. They're more so mm-hmm. sidestepping and yeah, paving mm-hmm. a new path or finding a different route to wherever it is they want to go. Because you're working with college students. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interacting with them. And, and how are they doing, the ones that you're working with? Are they, um, you know, in general, are, are they feeling like, oh, every which way I turn, there's rejection, or are you seeing them learning to handle it well? Hmm. It's an interesting time of year to ask about that because mm-hmm. it's admissions season, interview season yes. for master's and graduate programs. And for our high school students, they're right now getting their letters of acceptance or mm-hmm. rejection from colleges yeah. that they want to go to. That's happening right now. So what do you say to yeah. those those parents and people who want to support these young people or to the young people themselves? What, do you, what advice do you have for them, Vianne? Yeah, I think the what Cynthia was mentioning, I resonate with that in terms of having rejections also be an opportunity or an opportunity for self-reflection, or at least a call for self-reflection, mm-hmm. figuring out the a path that works for them or doesn't. And I think so much of it, at least for undergrads, they feel a need to like go, go, go. And focusing on the outcome rather than the process of it. Mm-hmm. Like, there are different mean? paths. What does that mean? Like you're going to get into the school, you're going to get the job, but right, just keep going. What is that? More so like the career of their choice, mm. whether that is a psychologist or another field, like this rat racer mentality of once I get there, then I'll be happy. And mm-hmm. not quite seeing that there are many different paths there. And it's, definitely okay to give yourself space outside of an academic setting. Like we hear these stories of people graduate high school, go immediately to college, get a four-year degree, and then start graduate school. Yet that really doesn't happen for the vast majority of people. Mm-hmm. And so that's changing okay. the script. Yeah, that's yeah, okay. Changing the storylines that we hear. All right, we're talking about Mm -hmm. rejection and how to handle it, what we can learn from it, and taking your phone calls. I have a career coach and a psychologist on the line, and I want to hear from you, too. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's talk with some of our listeners. In Prior Lake, Aaron's on the phone. Hi, Aaron. Thank you for listening. What did you want to share with us about rejection? What have you learned? Hi, Angela. Um, So I'm almost 40, but I I've been doing a lot of reflection in the last few years, as maybe, uh, you know, mid-30 people do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and one mm-hmm. of the things I, I heard earlier on the show that really resonated with me was, was thinking about how the early relationships you have um, with, with your parents, essentially, or those that, that help bring you up, really can affect how you handle or adjust with um, rejection. And I, mm-hmm. and I definitely noticed that, um, you know, having a parent who was uh, one of my parents being more of a, you know, rejection artist, as I like to call him, um, it, it definitely makes a strain on both my professional and my personal relationships. Um, and so I guess one of the things that, you know, I, I'm curious to hear about is what's a really good way to, um, you know, maybe let the guard down and, and, and be able to let others in. I mean, I, I am what I, I feel like I'm a successful person. I do have relationships with people, but I definitely notice that 
um, when I meet someone new, the walls stand up pretty hard, and it, mm-hmm. it is hard to uh, open up and, and share. So any mm-hmm. words of wisdom there um, that I could maybe get? And Aaron, get it, out does, of our it does feel, sound like you feel like you tie it back to some of your childhood experiences. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, my, my dad definitely, to my older brother and I, were, were he was not very warm, um, and it took a lot of work on our end to uh, have experiences with him. And that's still the case today. Um, you know, we, we still have to work pretty hard to um, have a relationship with him. And, and honestly, right now that's dwindling, at least for me, because at some point, you know, you got you to gotta, enough's enough. But that's a whole nother. All right. Well, let's, that's a whole nother. Let's hear. Thank, thank you for sharing that, Aaron. Um, uh, Vian, you, you mentioned this early on. Uh, so much of with how we, we d- deal with rejection and handle it um, has to do with what we experienced as children. Yeah. First, I want to give credit to Aaron for having that courage to go outside of your comfort zone. So the idea of that process versus focusing on the outcome per se and acknowledging where your boundaries are with folks such as one of your parents and how uh, as much as we can shift, we can't control the other person. And so, so what does, I, what does, uh-huh. what does he do now? You know, he talked about like, he noticed it's now even like when he meets new people that he's still somewhat guarded because he maybe is thinking like, this is going to be a lot of work. Yeah. So that sense of boundaries and that wall. So thinking about the walls themselves. And I actually just had a, a conversation about this with a clinical supervisee yesterday. These walls can be made of many different materials. These walls can have doors, they can have gates. And it's up to us to decide what material our wall is made of and when we want to adjust that door. And when we think about expanding our comfort zone or perhaps going on the edge of our comfort zone, we can start with taking like one brick off the wall and seeing what that's like. And I think surrounding ourselves or finding even one person in which we can build trust is important to help shift those core relationships we had when we were younger. But it also sounds like too, just acknowledging, like recognizing that like, this is something I'm not great at. Yes. And giving ourselves grace about it. Mm -hmm. So knowing that it's not something that we are intentionally bringing onto ourselves. It's something that's become ingrained in us from when we were young. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Anything you want to add to that, Cynthia? No, except I love that walls metaphor. I'm definitely going to be thinking about that for days. Thank you, Vian. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take another phone call uh, from a listener uh, in Minneapolis. We have, is it Irv? Irv on the phone. Good morning, Irv. Hey, good morning. It is Irv. You Hi. Right. Hi. Um, yeah, I just, I, I just wanted to call and, and mention a profession where I, I think rejection might be 95% of the game, and that's the arts. I've mm-hmm. been an artist mm-hmm. for 40 years, and... Um, it's something you got to come to terms with really early on. And I think just having that mantra in my head where most of the time I'm going to get rejected, but then when I get those acceptances, they're really sweet and really to savor those as much as you can to keep you going besides the belief in your work, of course. But I just wanted to raise that whole group of people that are out there in the arts that mm-hmm. face rejection, uh, maybe more so than other professions. Right, because you're, you're pouring your heart and soul into something. And, yeah. Um, yep. yeah, and and maybe only a small percentage of people can really appreciate it. Yeah, and it's, it's competitive. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the nature of the business. But um, What has it, helped it, you? you know, what has helped you, Irv? 
Um, I think just really early on coming to the terms with it that, you know, that's, it's competitive. There's a lot of people that are trying to do it. This In this particular country especially, there's really little governmental or state support of the arts like there might be in Europe. Um, so it's, it's going to be tough. Um, but again, that 5% of success or whatever it might be is really wonderful, and that does sustain you and then your own work. But I think, again, having that in the back of your head helps you not take every rejection personally mm-hmm. and not take it as, you know, um, it's not that your work is not valid. It's just for that particular moment in that particular situation or client, it's and you, not what you, they needed. And you shouldn't stop doing what you do, right? You have to keep keep no, creating. No, no. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Irv. Uh, Irv calling in from Minneapolis. Um, we're going to take more phone calls from listeners. But, um, you know, Cynthia, um, what do you have to say to, to Irv and someone who mm-hmm. works in the arts? Like, do you have some clients who yeah. are working in creative fields? Yeah, certainly over the years, many of them. And I mean, right on what Irv said, like what I heard was the early acceptance Mm-hmm. of what the reality and the landscape is and uh, you know kind of just coming to the coming to terms with that it, that's what i heard like seeing it for what it is accepting it and not engaging with i don't know some kind of quest to necessarily change the landscape at the same time some sort of underlying and independent sense of purpose or mission behind the work um, and then being able to celebrate the wins for what they are. I mean, I would simply add as well, like finding ways to break down and see wins even in when they don't look like them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, okay, so perhaps you applied to showcase your art at a certain exhibit and, you know, you didn't get in or, you know, you didn't sell the piece that you wanted at the auction or what have you. However, you did do a bunch of steps to put it out there to also create that art. So there's many ways that we can break this down, almost like Vienne was saying with the wall and the bricks. Every every um, act we do, we could actually break it down into many, many bricks. Um, and if we can see those as wins as opposed to an outcome that we didn't like or the, an outcome that was a rejection, um, that can really go a long way in sustaining us. I have another guest uh, to add to the conversation, and he's going to tell us about an event taking place in the Twin Cities this weekend. Paul Stetler is on the line. Paul is the founder of a, a stage play, a production. It's called Letters Aloud. Thanks, but no thanks. The greatest rejection letters ever. And you can see it performed this Saturday night at 730 at the O'Shaughnessy Auditorium at St. Catherine University in St. Paul. And you all guess who will be on the stage reading some of the letters written to and written by famous people. It's me. I'm part of the production. Paul is joining us from Seattle this morning. Hi, Paul. Hi, Angela. How are you? I'm great. Uh, Paul, this production is your baby. You're the founder, the creator. This show has traveled the country over the past decade, and you've had performances in, in many cities. Tell us, you know, what do audiences find interesting about rejection letters? You know, that's, uh, it's our newest show, and we're so excited to have you on stage and joining us on Saturday. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, it's our, our newest show, and, and, and I'm finding it's becoming very quickly our most popular one, and I think it's simply because we can all relate to the subject, uh, that we have all somehow been formed uh, in some way or another by the rejections we received, and uh and so this this show, you know, essentially is just a, a little background. What we do is we take 
uh, all of our shows, we take real letters from real people throughout history uh, that are focused on various themes. And then we read them on stage and we have a, a slideshow uh, that kind of uh, has letters, uh, images of the letter writers and images of the letters themselves. And then we have wonderful performers uh, like yourself that will be reading those letters with some live musical accompaniment. So it's a little bit more like a live mm-hmm. podcast than it is a, a, a theater piece. But uh, but it's a chance to engage with history in a very intimate and uh, human way. Well, I have to tell you, I was delighted to get the email request. They're like, hey, do you want to read some letters? I'm like, sure. Um, but it's so inspiring as I've read through all the letters that are going to be um, you know, performed on stage. I just found it inspiring, actually. And and do you feel the same way that, that these stories, and particularly these are people in history, these these are real-life scenarios? I think, yeah, like I said, when I first put this show together, I didn't know if I could do an entire show based on rejection. It seemed like that might not... Uh, a downer. <laughs> that might get old pretty quickly or a downer. But what I found, the more the more I would, you know, poke around and find rejection letters or who had been rejected before they got to where they got, it really turns into a show more about perseverance and staying true to your, to your yes. vision and believing mm-hmm. in yourself when no one else does. And that becomes something that we can all uh, relate to. You know, I, there's a great, there's so many wonderful letters, but the one I think of uh, initially is, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix was in the army and he got, uh, there's a great letter from his, his commanding officer recommending he get discharged because he's too focused on his guitar instead of his soldierly duties. And so there's a rejection that ultimately led to one of the greatest, you know, rock and roll mm-hmm. guitar players of all time. So I think that that's, that's kind of one of the, uh, sometimes a rejection can be the perfect thing for you. So yes, lots of famous names um, that people will hear featured in this. And, and Paul, you, you pulled a letter or two that, that you could read uh, right now for us to give people sort of a, a sample of, of what this show is about. I do. Let's see if I can find it. So yeah, so one of the things that, uh, you know, one of the things that we all, I think, experience it, 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 there's many forms of rejection and probably the most predominant form comes in the form of a form letter. And at the beginning of the show, we talk about how dry and impersonal form letters can be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really just, you know, thank you for applying, whether it's college or a job. And then they, they say, you know, we regret to inform you. And then they say, best of luck in your future. And I thought, there's got to be some better form letters out there that have some humor or some something a little more personal to it. And I found some great ones. And here's one I want to share with you. Uh, this is from uh, Portland State University's, uh, Univers- sorry, University of Portland's Portland Magazine, which is a small literary magazine in Portland, Oregon. And so this is what they would send out to uh, the writers who would send in their poems or there were short stories when they were, uh, uh, you know, this was a form letter uh, rejecting their, their, their story. Thank you for your lovely and thoughtful submission to the magazine, which we are afraid we are going to have to decline for all sorts of reasons. The weather is dreary. Our backs hurt. We have seen too many cats today. Our marriages are unkempt and disgruntled. Our children surly. The women's basketball team has no rebounders. <laughs> And someone left the toilet roll thing empty again without the slightest consideration for who pays for things like that. There is a sweet incoherence and self-absorption in your piece that we find alluring, but 
Did we mention the moist melancholy of the weather? Anywho, thank you for considering our magazine for your work. It's an honor. Editors. <laughs> an example. So um, some of the famous names, I mean, uh, oh, wow, you've mentioned some of them, but I, I'm remembering, um, let's see, there's uh, Andy Warhol is, uh, I think, featured, as well as uh, Sydney uh, Portier. Oh, so many. Yeah, um, have, uh, Prince, Madonna, Andy Prince, Warhol, right? you know, you 2 there's... Uh, uh, numerous yeah. uh, of our favorite. John bon Jovi. Uh, you, what, <laughs> that's right. One of my favorite ones uh, is uh, a young woman who was turned down for a job she had applied for, uh, like an editorial assistant or an editor's position. And uh, yeah. she wrote back to the people who sent her the rejection letter. She edited their rejection letter, made it better <laughs> writing to send it back to them. <laughs> Which I'm like, this is brilliant. That's right. That's right. <laughs> she, she got this very, uh, obviously just quickly dashed off email uh, saying, thanks for your, you know, but, and then she realized how many grammatical errors there were. So she, yes. she thanked them for their rejection and helped them uh, by, by editing it. Yeah. So Paul, I love that you said it's about perseverance. So the, what, what have you learned over the last 10 years of, of, you know, going around the country presenting this show that rejection doesn't have to be this sad story. It can actually be a story about perseverance because we've seen so many people throughout history persevere and, and do fantastic things. You know, I think it's, to me, there's so much, there's so much humor and, mm -hmm. and goodwill in this show that, I mean, I, I don't think we have numerous shows. So, you know, we've, we've traveled the country for, you know, like I said, the past 10 years or so, but, you know, many of the shows we've done are, you know, we've, we have, we, we focus on other themes like love letters and, you know, uh, bef people before they were famous and uh, letters during wartime. So we have all kinds of different things, but what I'm finding with this particular show is there's so much, um, there's so much laughter in this and it has, and it, and it really mm -hmm. sneaks up on you that we, we're kind of all in this together and that at the end of the day, what, what matters most is the process of doing what you do and not necessarily where it gets you. If you're doing something for recognition or for fame or fortune or what have you, that is going to lead to all kinds of, you know, for, for a lot of people, that's just going to lead to disappointment. But if what you what you're offering and what you truly love in the process of doing that, that is what fuels you, then you're going to be able to withstand, mm. you know, numerous rejections. I heard one of your, your callers, Irv, I too work in the theater and this is, I've worked as an actor and producer for years and years. And so having endured numerous, you mm. know, rejections for roles that I wanted back in the day is kind of uh, uh, mm -hmm. made this something I, I, I recognize quite a bit. Well, I love this. Uh, Paul Settler. So stay with us, Paul. Again, Paul, the founder of Letters Allowed, his production, Thanks But No Thanks, the greatest rejection lever letters ever. You can see that performance uh, Saturday night, this Saturday at 730 uh, on the campus of St. Catherine University in St. Paul there at O'Shaughnessy Theater. And I, I have the pleasure of being able to read some of these letters. Uh, Paul, stay with us. Cynthia and, and Vianne, what do you think about this? There's a, a show you can go see that honors rejection letters and, and encourages people to persevere. Vianne, what do you hear? I think that's an amazing nod to how common rejection is and how com and how rejection doesn't mean something about us per se and how we can 
grow and persevere through it. I think that's another P we can add to the personal pervasive permanent. Oh my. (laughs) And and Cynthia, is this something you would go see or suggest your clients check out? Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm like trying to find out when I, when it's going to be in the New York area, because it sounds like it would be so amazing. And just thinking about how transformative that will be for people watching and listening and experiencing that to like what it might encourage them to then go out and do and try and, you know, be more themselves and and do more of what they care about. Mm -hmm. And now more than ever, I think so many of us, we we need encouragement. Let's take some phone calls from listeners uh, who are uh, joining us in this conversation about rejection in Rochester. Kay is on the phone. Hi, Kay. Good morning. What do you want to tell us about rejection? Hey, good morning, Angela. I was just, um, it's honestly just sort of a response to Aaron's call from a little bit ago. And, and, you know, rejection, I think, and maybe maybe this says more about me than anybody else, but I think rejection is really a part of life. You know, we've all had breakups and we've all had jobs we didn't get or art, art things that we didn't get, auditions we didn't qualify for. But when he spoke about his relationship with his parent, that honestly very much spoke to me because I am the mother of a bunch of sons who do not have a relationship with their father because he has... He has deemed it that way. And I think that the folks who struggle with parental relationships specifically should be should be comforted by the fact that it's not them. It is not natural for a parent not to want to be with a child, provide them comfort, provide them advice. Um, and I get it if you're not touchy-feely, but for a kid to feel rejected by a parent is a whole different level. And I... I just think it speaks more to the parent than um, than the person who is feeling rejected, and that made it made me sad. And mm-hmm. I just my I guess my my call was just to say, good God, don't blame yourself, Aaron, because that's not normal. It's not normal for his father to be like that, and. I guess that's it. Thank you, Kay. And, uh, you know, that's personal for me, too. I was raised by my grandparents because my parents were not able to raise me. And, and at the end, you hear this story a lot, uh, again, that, that people, they can connect um, their childhood experiences to how they behave today. Yes, definitely. Well, the connection piece doesn't always happen. That's something that folk, that may require some reflection or discussion and therapy. But that connection piece is there and whether it is made and whether we can give ourselves grace about it is that growth process. And Cynthia, do you, do you see this like show up in the workplace as well? Or as people pursue career goals, they, they can tie mm-hmm. some of their rejection memories to when they were much younger. Oh, yeah, 100%. There's all kinds of ways that, you know, variations of these kinds of stories. Also, I think at the top, you had mentioned maybe like more of a schoolyard rejection you know, kind of context, those in the home, those are the formative years, like Vianne said. So I think we see a lot of echoes of that sometimes in other contexts. And, you know, everybody is on their own journey and process of processing and grappling with that to, you know, find their own way. Let's take another uh, call from a listener. Uh, Eric is on the phone. Eric calling from Rochester. Good morning, Eric. What do you want to share with us? Yeah, I guess uh, it hasn't been touched on yet, but um, a big part of sales, working in sales, no matter what you're doing, is rejection. And uh, I did experience a lot of that uh, with the job that I uh, took. Um, you know, in my early 30s, I hadn't 
done professionally. This was telephone sales, so uh, the rejection was even more. But I was hired um, at a legal publishing company, um, and I was in a a group called Sales Support. And what we had to do was we called legal, you know, we were calling attorneys to sell products. Um, the, The key was, or what, we got training. We had three weeks of training on this. It was, they paid us, and it was professional. But the whole thing was getting to the decision maker that could make the decision about buying the product. And uh, so I had to, I had to really maneuver my way around legal secretaries who were told by the lawyers, I don't want to hear any salespeople. I don't want any sales calls. So, <laughs> um, you know, and all, all I did when I got in there for the first month is like the one lady said, it was all about just throwing the spaghetti at the wall. You had to keep calling. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't get. I'm imagining you, know, you making making hundreds of calls, but only having maybe a handful of successes. Yeah, that was true. And the thing was, I couldn't I couldn't take it personally. Right. I couldn't take it personally. I had to keep calling, mm-hmm. keep working it, keep working the angles. When I got through to that decision maker, then I had to shine. But it was I, I got an award the first month. Most telephone calls on the whole floor. <laughs> It was it was just about <laughs> making the calls, not taking it personally, and and, and just going. Do, just picking picking up the phone. And and anyone that's in sales on the line knows whatever you do, sales, most of what it is is rejection. You know those one or two sales you get during the day, those four or five calls I got through that's to it. the decision maker. Those were my little victories. So well, I, Eric, thank you so much. Uh, we're down to just our last minute and a half here, and, and I would love some words of encouragement from you, Cynthia, for folks on that professional front. Uh, what should you do if you keep, you know, that door keeps getting closed? Just remember, you can always get up and try again, exactly like the caller said just now. And mm-hmm. your next yes could be that next one. So mm-hmm. don't not try. Right. And Vianna, again, um, you know, some of this is deeper than just like, you know, someone's not seeing me, some of it goes much deeper. So it seems to me that just acknowledging that this is a struggle can be helpful. Yeah. Acknowledging that for yourself, providing yourself grace and sticking to your underlying values. Right. All right. Our our time is up for today. Um, We've been talking with uh, three guests about rejection. Uh, Vianne Nguyen Fang, an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and Cynthia Pong, the director and CEO of the career coaching firm Embrace Change there in New York, and Paul Stetler, who will be here this weekend, the founder of Letters Aloud, his production, Thanks But No Thanks, the greatest rejection letters ever. You can see that on stage 7.30 Saturday night at O'Shaughnessy there at St. Catherine University, and I will be there reading some of those letters, encouraging all of us to persevere. This conversation today was produced by Gretchen Brown. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.